Y'all ready? You fired up? Okay, I was rowdy. I was rowdy in first service. I just need to know if you can handle it. Can you handle it? Okay, just checking. I almost brought the rattlesnakes out from back. I mean, I almost brought them out. Tambourines, rattlesnakes, you know, some, I'm just joking. I did grow up Pentecostal, but I didn't, and I did not come from Kentucky. So uh, love all y'all from Kentucky. If anybody watching Kentucky, we love you. Praise God. Uh, are you ready for today? I'm fired up today, guys. We got worship night tonight. I can't wait. I love it. I love it. Uh, it's gonna, did, did any of you, when you were growing up, did you go to youth camp? And man, you just, service would just go, and it was like, we're gonna have like youth camp for adults tonight, man. We're just going to stay. We're going to be at the altar. We're going to lay hands on people. We're going to pray for people. Um, I don't know if it's going to be streamed. I just don't know. Um, don't know if we have those strings and we can pull and have that ready. But if you can be here live, be here live. And if we can stream it, we'll shoot a text or whatever out. Make sure that you uh, know how to uh, see that. So uh, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. God, we ask you in Jesus' name to release your Holy Spirit upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, it's been a great uh, time in this family series we've been in called Family Matters. We've talked about all different types of relationships. We've talked about God's instruction for relationships, uh, the family of God, the family that we have in our own households, uh, how to interact as husband and wife, how to interact as a leader, as a partner, lots of different things like that. Today, we're going to talk about a different type of relationship. We're going to talk about the vertical relationships that we have, uh, specifically about authority figures and how we interact and engage in that, and as authority figures, how we interact. And we're going to talk about a principle called honor today honor. And, and we live in a world, if I could be really honest, where we don't do very well with honor. And, you know, Americans uh, have a lot of rights and we're, we're all about our rights. And especially Texans, we, we like the whole come and take it. Don't tread on me. We, I mean, we're, it's, that's kind of our whole vibe, you know, guns and Bibles, you know, that type of a deal. I mean, my dad has a thing on his front door, a sign on his front door. Some people have the whole no solicitors or whatever. My dad has a thing on his front door that literally has the barrel of a gun on it, and it says, nothing inside worth dying for. Come on, that's where I came from, right? <laughs> nothing inside worth dying for. Uh, we, we have a security team here uh, in place that, man, they're a little itchy. They're just hoping someone comes in on Sundays and acts crazy. I'm just kidding. They don't want that ever. But we have to, we live in a crazy world and we live in a world where people uh, have issues with authority. And rightly so sometimes, right? Anybody else frustrated but me? I'm the only one. I'm frustrated. All I've done for the last week is listen to this bluegrass song out of Virginia, right? It's become, it's on my worship set now. It's just part of my worship rotation, right? I, it's just, it's, I mean, it's hard nowadays because we see so much and we experience so much and it's easy to get frustrated, but we need to learn the secret of this decision that we get to make to obey God and to understand the power of honor in our lives. Now, most of you, if you know me, you know, that I grew up um, as a martial artist. Uh, I was 11 when my mom signed me up for my first class, 1985. Now, any of y'all that grew up in the 80s, I was 11 uh, in the 80s, 12, turned 12 in the 80s, or, or in, in 85 specifically. It was Daniel Son, Wax On, Wax Off. I mean, that was the whole culture. But more than that, it was the ninja craze culture. And where I grew up, every respectable young man had nunchucks, 
throwing stars, throwing knives, even the little tabby boots, the little ninja boots, little gripper claw things, and we could scale stuff. We literally, all we did as kids was ninja stuff. We had a kid in our neighborhood that had full gear, and he would walk around in the woods with a dart gun, right? And we're like just hoping he didn't dart you or something. I don't know if he ever darted anybody, but we worried about it sometimes, right? It was ninja craze. And when my mom asked me if, she, if I wanted to take a martial arts class, I was like, heck yes, sign me up. And she took me down to Wild Bunch Karate. Who in their right mind would sign their kid up for wild bunch karate, right? We sign our kids up to not be a wild bunch. We sign them up because they're out of their ever-living minds and they need discipline and focus and all that. But in 85, it was wild bunch karate. And within three classes, we are bare knuckle fighting on a hardwood gym floor. Like 50 kids, all white belts, three classes in, bare knuckle fighting. And somebody kicked my sister and made her cry. And my little sister Summers are my favorite people on the planet. And I had a rule as a big brother that no one kicks my little sister except me, right? That's the basic rule when you're a big brother. So I asked if I could fight this guy. And the instructor said yes. And when they said go, I flew with this guy and kicked him in the face. And, and I didn't know what I was doing. I just made up a move, right? And kicked him in the face. And the instructor was like, stop. And the whole class stops. And I'm like, I'm in trouble. And he runs up to me and goes, that was awesome. You're going to the tournament. And that's how my martial arts competition career, I was three classes in and had the natural ability to jump, kick a kid in the face and bust his lips and make him cry. And I was the star pupil from that day on. But what I didn't understand is that the culture that I was placed in was a culture of respect and honor. The style of martial art that I trained in was a style, I didn't stay at Wild Bunch, we ended up moving to a different one the next year uh, and had had really great instructors that taught tremendous principles and character and things of that nature. But I... I was engulfed in a culture where everything was about respect, and we, we bowed to, to each other. We honored each other, and we respected each other. We called our instructor Mr. So-and-so, or Sabum, or Sabumnim is the Korean for calling someone the, the formal name for instructor. And everything was about honor and respect. And if you didn't say yes, sir, or no, sir, you're doing knuckle push-ups. And if you didn't call a black belt by their surname, Mr. So-and-so, or Miss So-and-so, you're doing knuckle push-ups. And it was this culture of honor that we grew up in, and I I had parents that taught me to honor, and they taught me to respect, and as I got a little older, you know, my Bible, my my parents believed in the Bible, and there's a verse in the Bible that says uh, that if you spareth the rod, you spoileth the child, you know, that's that verse, it means, there's an actual verse that says uh, that that you can spank your child um, to drive evil from him, and it won't kill him, isn't that funny, it's actually in the Bible, but with this, we see this culture of honor, and our first time we see this command of honor is in the Bible. It literally, according to the Bible, honor is a command. It's not a choice. It's a command, and we need to understand what God intends by it. So let's look at this. This is the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All the parents said? Amen. Amen. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. What that means is honor your father and mother so they don't kill you and make another one just like you. Anybody know, heard that one growing up? 
Did you know in the Old Testament, if a child was rebellious against their parents and spoke rebellious words or blasphemous words, the other townspeople were commanded to take the child outside of the village and stone them? So this promise of live a long life was real. It was real. That you better honor your parents or the village is going to take you outside and stone you and not like stone you up in other parts of the world right now. They're talking about with rocks, right? That's what this was about. Honor was an important thing to God. It was a command, and it came with the promise that you'll live a long life and you'll be blessed in the earth. So it's a command with a promise. Now watch this. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children or do not provoke your children to wrath. Another translation says, instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now watch this. This, is, this gets weird for us in our culture. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free, and masters treat your slaves in the same way, do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is a really uncomfortable passage in our American culture to talk about, but I want you to see and understand that Paul the apostle lived in a culture, did you know that Jesus' day, in Jesus' day, 75% of the population of the world were owned slaves? Did you know that? Did you know that it's our culture, our American and Western, specifically the movement from preachers in the pulpits of America and Great Britain that begin to understand the revelation of what Paul said, that there is no slave nor free. There's no male nor female. There, there, there's there, the entire thing. We're all one. There's no Gentile or Jew. We're all one in Christ Jesus. It was the revelation of Jesus Christ that began to change the culture of the world. And so what we have in our modern day America, and it's not perfect and we have a long way to go, but it's the first time in human history. You understand? The first time in 6,000 years of recorded human history that we're in the middle of seeing something different happen. And it only happens inside of cultures where Jesus is a predominant force. That's it. That's it. But the concept that Paul is talking about is a concept of honor in vertical relationships because God has made it a command and it has something of power in it. Now, as my parents began to raise me and they, my, my mom, did any of you have, like your mom would be in the middle of cooking and you did something you shouldn't and she would just use the cooking spoon on you? Good godly moms that pray for you. Well, as I got tougher, I'm 12 and 13 now, and I'm training the martial arts, and man, I just, she started breaking spoons on me, right? And I'm just like, <laughs> pow, she's just breaking spoons all over the place. And, and, and I was getting pretty tough, and the spankings weren't working, because uh, I was pretty tough at the time, and my, 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 my dad started giving me knuckle push-ups on the kitchen floor instead of spanking me. Because, you know, I would just kind of smile, nice try, pops. I'm tough now, you know? And so it escalated. And what my dad began to do was call my instructor 
And he would call Mr. Bell, was his name, Jack Bell, and he would say, Mr. Bell, Joel is in need of an attitude adjustment. And unknowingly, I would ride my little mongoose spike up to the martial arts studio. I was there an hour and a half to two hours before every other student every day because I was waxing on and waxing off and vacuuming the floor, washing the wind. That was literally me. I was literally Danielson in the 80s. That was my whole life. Every single day, that's what I did. And, and, and I'd walk in the studio, and Mr. Bell would say, hey, Joel, how are you doing today? I'm great. He goes, great. Go put your pads on and meet me in the middle of the mat. I'm like, uh, well, um... Class isn't for like an hour, another hour and a half or so. He's like, I know, but your dad called me again. Says you're in need of an attitude adjustment. So here's how it's going to go. I'm going to meet you in the middle of the mat, and we're going to fight. And I'm going to beat you. And if you stand up like a man and fight back, I'll hit you way less and for a less amount of time. But if you're a wuss, I'll beat you and beat you. Then I'll go have a Coke catch my breath and come back and beat you some more. So 24-year-old Mr. Bell is now contending with 14-year-old Joel and 13-year-old Joel, 14-year-old And what happened was, because of the contention there, I became literally a national competitor because I'm used to fighting grown men and duking it out, right? But I learned this principle of honor, and it actually worked. Uh, I, I don't recommend that, although for the right price, I will happily help you with your children. Private <laughs> sessions. <I'm just> like, <laughs> oh, my God. We used to call it, we're going to take you down by the river. That's what we used to call it. You're going down by the river, son. You ain't going to like it, but your parents will. Uh, but, but anywho, the, the idea being that the culture of honor was permeated in my life. My parents, as Christian parents, taught me about honor. They taught me to treat people that have authority in my life with a certain way or a certain type of behavior. I should treat them a certain way because they hold a certain place. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 13, 7 says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The Bible says that there are people that you owe honor to. Honor is something you owe. Wild, huh? See, this... this, this flips on us a little bit because I mentioned earlier, as Americans, we have, we got some attitude, right? I mean, we just do. We got rights and, and no, you know, come and take it. And we just, we, we got a little, we got a little attitude. It's different than certain other countries. And we expect certain things. And we have a major gap in our understanding because we believe that we should treat people the way they deserve to be treated. That's what we think. It's normal. It's natural. I don't respect them because look at how they live. I don't respect them because look at what they did and look at how they lie and look at how this, and we watch on TV and we see all these people that hold positions in government and whatever, and we despise them and we judge them and we talk against them. The Bible says we're supposed to pray for them, right? The Bible says that all authority is from God. You ever had evil authority in your life? Man, you ever had a bad boss? 
I have. You ever had an abusive boss? Oh, you better believe I have, right? I had an abusive boss in the church. Oh my gosh, I was just six, eight months in and in ministry. This is 20 plus years ago. And they hired this guy and he came in and this dude was incredibly manipulative and controlling and it, and it was a, a verbally abusive. It, literally, he had this group of people that he literally talked down to. None of them had dads. So he could talk to them a certain way and they would follow. He, it was this unbelievable thing, but, but I wasn't one of those. And I'm 28 years old and a month ago or a year ago, I was the reigning world champion. And all of a sudden, I got this guy getting in my face, talking to me in a manner that no one talks to me because I don't have to let it happen. But he's my boss. So we're in the middle of a conversation one day and I kind of stepped up to him a little bit. Real respectfully though. <laughs> and, and he was accusing me of things and he was berating me of something. He was, it was, it was bad. And I stepped up and I said, hey, I said, you're not my dad. And I don't need you to try to act like you're my dad. And I said, in fact, the way you're talking to me right now, no one talks to me like that. No one. And he looked at me. And he never talked to me like that again. Now, here's the interesting part. I was inside of an organization where I was being abused by someone. I didn't go around him. I didn't go over his head. I didn't go file a complaint. I, I spoke up for myself kindly. There might have been a little threat in there. Little, little, there might have been a little something in there. But I never said anything mean or rude or anything like that. I just set a boundary. Months later, this person would get fired. And the leadership of the organization would come to me and say, hey, we were fully aware of what he was doing and how he was treating people, and we were watching him the whole time. But you know what else? We were watching you. And you honored, and you were honorable, so we want to honor you with this promotion. And the person that was abusing was released, and the the people on the team that were taking the abuse were all promoted because we understood that honor was something that was owed simply because of the position this person held. Oh, that's foreign in our culture. So foreign in our culture. See, this is a phrase, this phrase I'll give you right now, something I've used for years. Honor is positional, not behavioral. Honor is not something necessarily that you earn. Honor is something you're owed for the position that you hold. See, the reality is, is that there are parents. Look, there, there are times where, where Joel, as a parent, has been a bonehead. And I, I may not have been very respectable, but I still hold a position. And so the command from God is to honor does that make sense? But it's not only for them to honor. It does say honor your father and mother. But the very next thing, it's, it, ta- it teaches about how to treat your kids. See, the relationship I have with my children 
It's, it's, it's a relationship that is growing and developing. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting how it goes from when you have a child and then they become an adult and your conversations change. It's, it's amazing how, how that works. And at some point in time, you move and your kids, if there's a healthy relationship and honor has been a part, the, both ways, up and down, honor has been a part. All of a sudden, you move into a friendship with your children. It's different. Interesting that Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves or servants. I now call you my friends. You know why he said that? He said, I call you my friends because you obey me or you honor me. We can't expect to develop friendship if we can't treat each other with honor. God has a position in our lives, so we honor him. Our parents have a position, so we honor them. Authorities have a position. The Bible says all authority is from God. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood or the church, the body of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Peter was living in a nation that had an evil, wicked, murderous king. That king was subjugated by an emperor of Rome who was an evil, pagan, murderous emperor. And the command from Peter to the brotherhood, to the church of Jesus Christ, was to honor even the evil king. Man, that's foreign. That's foreign. Next year's an election year. And someone's going to go into office and half the people will be happy or at least tolerant. And half the people will be angry. Doesn't matter who it is. The command is honor. That's the command. Honor. Your spouse, the command is honor. You treat them a certain way because of the position they hold in your life. Honor. See, honor is positional, but honor is also reciprocal. That means that you receive back according to how you give out. Does that make sense? I received honor and a promotion because I behaved with honor and I treated with honor even when it wasn't deserved. So, so, so my parents taught me, as I'm turning 16, Joel, if you happen to get pulled over, you treat that officer with honor and respect. Even if they're wrong, even if they're rude, no matter how they act, you treat them with honor and respect because that's what God commands. And because that's what God commands, it will go better for you because you're sowing honor. So it didn't matter. It's yes, sir, no, sir. Doesn't matter. The person could be a dirty cop, but I honor. When you go before a judge, what do you call him? He could be on the take. He could be corrupt, but he holds a position. And what we need to understand is if we sow honor long enough, we put seeds in the ground long enough, a harvest is coming our way. Now, that doesn't mean you don't stand up 
We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Yet we still have to honor. In, in our culture, it's almost like the more dishonorable and rude and obnoxious and abrasive you can be, the more viral your video can go and the more clicks you can get and the more money you can make. And there's a false concept that you can receive a reward for being dishonorable. But I promise you it is short term. Short term. Long term, the harvest you want is a harvest of honor. I'm going to share a passage with you that has been one of the most powerful passages in my entire life. It's a revelation that the Lord gave me um, that, I don't know, uh, eight or years ago or so, I, I, I wrote a book on it. And it came out of this passage. And in this passage, the Lord showed me that it was literally his spiritual wisdom that was a building block system for success in everything. And I started preaching it in the church, and business people went crazy over it. And then God gave me an idea, and I wrote a curriculum from this passage, translated all the biblical wisdom into regular, everyday verbiage, business verbiage, and I began to ask my business friends to let me test it in their business. And the first business I went into was a, a blue-collar uh, business, blue-collar sales guys. Uh, on Sunday, I was on a stage preaching in a church. Uh, on Wednesday, I'm in a blue-collar business and sit at a, around a boardroom table, and every single person there, it, it, the, the foulest language, the most hostile environment at the time, and I, I'm talking, I'm sweating. I'm like, this is not going to work. This is, this is not my audience. This is not my normal people. This is not. But I began to release the first principle in this passage. And an hour and a half later, the business owner called me and said, what the bibbidi-bobbidi-boo did you say? And I thought I was in trouble. He said, what did you say? What? I'm like, what, what, what? I mean, I, I, what? He said, my sales team just went out. And in the first hour after you left, they sold three days worth of sales. What did you say? You need to forget this preacher crap. You need to come back tomorrow. <laughs> That's what he said. He goes, we'll make millions. <laughs> I said, number one, I'm not quitting the preacher crap. And number two, I'll be back next month with my next principal. I come back the next month. He calls me afterwards. What did you, I mean, literally, by the end of that day, they had sold a week worth of business by the end of one day. Biblical principles. That, <laughs> crazy, that business went from 5 million a year to 12 million in one year. The next year, 18. The next year, 20. Now it's 24. And I never said Jesus. I never said turn in your Bible. I never said thus said the Lord. I took the Bible and put it in regular language. That's how powerful your Bible is. You understand that? That's how, that's how powerful your Bible is. If you'll, if you'll understand that God's word is so powerful, you don't have to be churchy with it. You can actually take it and apply it right into practical things like parenting, like marriage, like business, like banking, like investing, like team building, team leadership. It absolutely works. It's just that powerful. First Peter, second Peter, pardon me. 
Chapter one, verse five. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, that word diligence means urgent excellence, with, with a sense of urgency to be the most excellent you could possibly be. That's principle number one. Have an urgency about being excellent. How can it be better? How can it be better? I'm, I'm in a hurry to be the most excellent person I could possibly be a part of this team. With all diligence, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Easy principle for us, we're believers. We understand that what you believe is what you become. Your power, the power of faith in your life has everything to do with your victory and your success. What you think, how you believe, it's so powerful in your life. Add to your faith, virtue. We mistranslate this word virtue. We think it means a type of behavior, virtuous behavior. It's actually translated, the word means manliness. Interesting that God's command said be urgently excellent about your faith and the first thing you should add to your faith is manliness, but we live in a culture that wants to castrate and make manliness a toxic negative thing when the Bible says it's a virtue. Add to your faith some get up and go, add to your faith, some valor, some, some valiance in battle, some boldness, some manliness. I could say this so many ways it wouldn't be fitting in church. Then add to your virtue knowledge. Gnosis, it's where we get science. It means you go back to work on yourself. You're constantly trying to learn. You never stop learning. You never stop growing. You're always trying to be a better version of yourself. You go back to the, you go back to the drawing board constantly, and you're in this constant state of learning, learning, learning. Add to your virtue knowledge. Add to knowledge self-control. Wow, you better have some boundaries in life. You better learn some discipline in life. You better set a, a right bedtime. Get a right diet. You're going to live a long time. You better set your, your, your life up right. Have some discipline so you can be an inspiration, so you can keep being excellent for a long time. Add to your self-control perseverance. Man, you better have some grit. You better have some tenacity. You better not be an easy quitter. You better not throw in the towel easy. With Jesus, if you don't quit, you end up winning. You understand that? With Jesus, you you end up winning if you just don't quit. You can't quit. Though the righteous falls seven times, he rises again. He doesn't quit. And to perseverance, godliness. Oh, we don't know what that means, though. Godliness. We think godliness is, is if you have the little halo on your head. It's how you behave. You got this one. If I listen to this one, I'm godly. The word for godliness is eusebaya. It means reverence, respect, piety, and devout honor toward God. Godliness is an attitude, not a behavior. But godliness is an attitude that if it has its way in you, will change your behavior. You've heard it said a thousand ways. Your attitude determines your altitude or whatever. The attitude of a plane is the angle of the nose of the plane. If the nose is up, it's going up. If the nose is down, it's going down. Pretty, I don't know aerodynamics, but that's basics, right? It's the attitude. Our attitude toward God, our honor toward God, our reverence toward God. 
When Jesus gave the greatest command, you have 663 commands in the Old Testament. Jesus summed them up into one thing, love God and love people. And the number one way that you love is you honor, you honor, you honor. You treat that person according to the position they hold in your life. And you value them no matter where. See, here's another misunderstanding. We look around as human beings, it's, it's not, it's not, uh, it's just nature. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And we look at one person and we don't measure up. And we look at another person and we think we're way better. Oh, you better believe this. This applies to all of us. I had a friend of mine call me out of the blue the other day. That's eh, about, it's about probably eight, nine months or a year ago now. And he said, hey, man, the Lord just showed me I'm supposed to call you and pray for you. What are you doing? How are you feeling? What are you dealing with today? Is there something I should pray for you? And I said, man, it's a real friend, so I'm, I'm not going to pull any punches. I said, man, I just don't feel like I'm a very good pastor. He said, compared to who? And so I named my friend, another pastor. I said, compared to him, he prays more than me. He, he, he definitely is more holy, more godly than me. Absolutely. This guy, he's way better than me. He just lives a better life. I'm sorry. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, I've got a list of great churches I can send you to. I got lots of great pastor friends. I'll send you right down the road. Wonderful. I'm a work in progress, y'all. I mean, God picked a, a professional martial artist and made him into a preacher. I, I want to fight. It's my hobby. It's what I do for fun. I, I want to mouth off. I, I want to go. I, that's, I'm rowdy. I just am. I need Jesus bad. Okay? And, and it's just this, this understanding. And it's funny, the pastor that I mentioned next to him, he's, the pastor that I mentioned, he said, that's funny. He goes, that's the other person God told me I'm supposed to call today. I wonder if he'll be comparing himself to someone else too. Come on, we all do this. We compare. And, and, and if we're looking up and comparing ourselves and saying we're not as good, then we're disagreeing with what God says about us. And if we're looking at someone else and thinking we're way better, then we're disobeying God because God has no favorites. And God doesn't measure that person compared to you and doesn't measure you compared to them. You're called to honor all people. Whether you see them above you or see them below you, you honor all people. Why? Because they're God's kids. They're God's kids. And what we have to learn, this is an important one. This is something the Lord's speaking to me about because I, I, I dealt with someone the other day and I was, I was a little harsh. And, and the reason I was a little harsh is because there's someone that was connected to our church that was being led astray by someone. And when I dealt with the person that was leading astray, I was, I was harsh. Um, I just quoted the Bible, but, I, but it, was, it was strong. And afterwards, because I'm, I'm, I'm a nice guy and I'm a softy, I'm like, God, was that, was, that, was that too much? Did I sin? Did I go over the top? Did I whatever? And, and, and this is what the Lord said to me. He goes, no, Joel. He goes, you were protecting a sheep. And that was a wolf. You're gentle with the sheep. You're vicious with the wolf. Hmm. Interesting. So what we have to do is figure out who we're dealing with. 
And even the wolf, y'all, even the wolf could be God's kid who's just deceived and they're led astray. Because at the end of the day, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual battle. It's against demons. It's against principalities. It's against fallen angels. Everything we deal with in our world, all the people we think are evil are simply deceived and they're obeying a demonic God. To godliness, that brotherly kindness, what would happen if we would just be kind? Just be kind as as an M.O., and to brotherly kindness, add love. For if these things are yours and abound or perpetuate in you, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These specific building blocks, one on top of the other, are an absolute guarantee that you will thrive in any area of your life you apply them to. It's how a surgeon becomes a surgeon. It's how a banker becomes anyone that's excellent in any of the area of their life. They have principles, building blocks, whether they know they're from the Bible or not, they work Every single time. I just gave you my secret. That'll be (laughs) $40,000. One big question today. Are, it wasn't enough. $40,000 wasn't enough, was it, Bryce? Yeah, I undersold it. (laughs) $100,000. Big question. Are you sowing honor? Are you sowing honor? Luke chapter 6, verse 36 through 38. Jesus says, therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be will put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Most of you have only heard this verse ever taught in church regarding financial giving. And it works in financial giving. I've I've been a tither my entire life. I tithe off the gross of my income, not bragging. I'm just saying I understand the system. Give and it shall be given unto you. The Bible says that if you honor the Lord with your first fruits, You'll abound in, every, in all things. It's, it's an amazing principle. It works in giving. Absolutely works in giving. That's why God says, test me in this. Bring the entire tithe into my storehouse. Put me, test me. I dare you, God says. But giving is just one little part of it. It's one little part of it. Guys, it works in everything. It works in everything. The measure you sow, you shall also reap in everything. Why do you think Jesus started with mercy? Because it wasn't about money. Money's the easiest part because you can do math on it. It's hard to do math on mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. The way we treat people. If you judge, oh my God, we're good at judging, aren't we? Paul said, I don't even judge myself. God alone is the judge. If you condemn, we do this all the time. Anybody want to be condemned? Anybody want to be judged? No. But what we sow is what we reap. Does anybody want honor? Then you sow honor. 
You want respect? Two ways. Sow it and live a manner that's worthy of it. You'll reap it, but you got to sow it. Are you sowing honor? I want you to let that sit for just a second. Josh is going to lead us in one more quick song here. And as we close, I just want this to kind of settle in your heart. I want you to just take a second and close your eyes, whether you're in this room or watching online or listening on the podcast. Just be introspective. Are there people in your life, in your world, that you're not treating them according to the position that God put them? You're not sowing honor. See, the beautiful thing about this is you can change the seeds you sow, and thereby you can change your future harvest. Do you have anything to repent for? Ways you've spoken about authority figures. Ways you've treated people. Just get right with God right where you are. Let me lead you in a prayer across the room. Just say this. Say, Father, forgive me for the times that I have broken the command of honor. Help me to sow seeds of honor and to reap a harvest. Jesus, I honor you today. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I honor you. You rose from the dead. You're coming back again. You're my Lord and I'll spend eternity with you. Until then, help me to obey. Help me to love. Help me to honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.